I have a spinal fusion from T1 to L4, which is essentially my entire back. So when you're paddling on a surfboard, most surfers will arch their back and pick up their chest a little bit and look with their neck. I only have seven vertebrae in my neck to, to, you know, toss my head back and look at oncoming waves or get out of the way of surfers. So that's an uncomfortable situation. This is Meredith for real, the curious introvert, and I'm Meredith. I explore the questions people think, but don't ask out loud, either because they're taboo or thanks to cultural hypnosis. My mission, and yours if you choose to accept it, is to inspire curiosity by exploring the nuance and paradox of our world. Each episode is different, so bring your ADD and your earbuds and have a look around. Hey, Curiositors, it's me, Meredith. I've been wanting to do a surf episode for a while, but nothing ever felt like a fit until now. My guest is an actor, surfer, journalist, drummer, and a stuntman. And he's also a little person. He was born with cartilage hair hypoplasia, a really rare form of dwarfism. We talk a lot about the mechanics of surfing with dwarfism, especially in the second half of the interview, which I think is something that a lot of people are immediately curious about when they hear a surfer with dwarfism. I love it because it speaks to the magnetism of surfing that someone from the Midwest who was told by doctors that he'd never walk now lives and surfs Malibu. I get asked where I find guests a lot. And although he's one of the rare people that I actually met in person before asking him to come on the show, the source is super different for each guest. So I started putting the source of each guest in my Monday email, along with the regular info about the new episode. If you're not getting those and you want to be included, you can text REAL to 66866 if you're in the U.S. or go to MeredithForReal.com if you're elsewhere. On Saturday, I also send out a Cliff Notes and Clickable Links email in case what you heard was so good you wish you could have taken notes or you want to check out a resource that the guest mentioned. If you're already getting my emails, you're probably one of my amazing loyal listeners. Thank you so much for that. You're helping make the world a more curious place, and I think that really matters. Curiosity is the foundation of honest communication, problem-solving, and exploration. And look at you, doing all that with your phone and your earbuds. And if you're new here, welcome. Around here, we press play to get curious, to disrupt the algorithm, and to grow into better humans. I talk with everyone from scientists to sex workers. There's no specific order to listen to episodes. And if you end up liking this episode, you'll also like the one with the blind rock climber who uses Legos to plan climbing routes. That's episode 145. All right, enjoy the show. In the U.S., less than 1% of the population is born with dwarfism. Historically, we're accustomed to seeing them portrayed as elves or the comedic sidekick. But what about being seen in the lineup? I'm talking about surfing. My next guest was born with cartilage hair hypoplasia, a rare form of dwarfism. The doctor said that he would never walk. And having been born in Michigan, surfing, definitely not a topic of discussion either. So naturally, he moved to Malibu and became not only an avid surfer, but also an actor, journalist, drummer, and stuntman. 
In a society that always thinks bigger is better, he's showing the world that you can live big no matter how tall you are. Today, he's going to share his passion for surfing and his perspective on Hollywood's depiction of little people. Fellow podcaster, Midwestern waterman, multi-passionate brother from another mother, Christoph <laughs> Zajak Denick. <laughs> Thanks for being here. <laughs> Dang, Meredith, you are incredible at intros. <laughs> like you should do, you should talk about intros. Um, that was amazing. That's the that's the, hands down the best intro, and I will fight anyone uh, about it. But that was amazing. Thank you so much for such a warm and sweet intro, my sister from another mister um <laughs> you're very welcome <laughs> uh well i do we so for um our friends out there uh christoph and i met catch him at, up yeah catch him up catch him up our uh we met at a podcasting conference called podfest and he gave a talk and he mentioned he was from the midwest and that he was a surfer and i i thought oh my gosh i need to say hello to this person so Every time I saw him, he had a gaggle of people around him. So um, uh, I wasn't working out that way. And so I was preparing to do a talk, forgot my laptop, had to run back to the hotel room. As I was heading up the stairs, I realized he was going up the escalator. And so I skipped stairs and was running next to him. And I was like, hi, um, I heard your talk and that you're from Nebraska and I surf and I surf too and I'm from Nebraska. So I see you too. And here we are. Here we are. And this is how I find Which, guests, folks. This is how it happens. I would, I would also like to say that I've done stunts and I'm really conscious of when I'm walking up and down stairs and I have to look down and watch the stairs. So the fact that you are hanging on a conversation, <laughs> looking to the left of you and bounding upstairs is damn impressive. Well, so thank nice you, job. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Appreciate Absolutely. that. Appreciate that. <laughs> well, I feel like every surfer has an origin story, but Midwestern surfers have a very specific one, I feel. I would love to start by you telling your surfer origin story. How did you get into it? Yeah, um, it started in uh, Captiva Island in Florida, which is on the um, the Gulf side. Probably when I was eight or nine years old, my family would go down to Florida for spring breaks, Easter, you know, uh, break. And I thought skimboarding was so cool because there really aren't waves, as I've learned. And as you could probably attest to on the Gulf side of Florida. Um, but I there was skimboarding there. And so I tried to skimboard. And then I also would boogie board as well. And I would imagine myself as a professional competition boogie boarder at nine years old, like catching nine inch waves out <laughs> in the washing machine slop in like the, the shelly sandbars of, um, Gulf side, Florida. And that's how I just, I always wanted to be in the water being from Michigan and being around the great lakes. And going to surf shops wherever I purchased a skim board or, you know, rented a body board, I would see surfers standing on water and, and um, posters and magazines. And I just thought it was so cool. And that's the next thing. And I realized that you couldn't do that where I was going in Florida. And so I begged my mom to take me to Cocoa Beach on the, the East Coast. And I rented a surfboard, did not sign up for lessons, rented a wetsuit that I don't even know 
how that worked. I, maybe I didn't wear it. Maybe I just went out there cold. I don't remember because it was March or April at the time. Oh. Um, and uh, yeah, the board, of course, you get a smaller board than you think. They're like, I, why would I use an eight foot board? Like, I'm a small guy. I need a six foot board, which is just stacking the cards against you in a major, major way. Um, I think the board I got was foam and it was waterlogging and taking on water and getting heavier <laughs> while I was out there. <clears throat> and then I also got caught in a rip. I couldn't touch the bottom. I couldn't paddle. And I just got swept like a quarter of a mile down the beach, but I loved it. I was out there. It was so much fun to be in the water. And I, I, I just imagined myself like anybody else, like any other amazing surfer in a magazine shot, like in a barrel, you know, crouched down and just riding in this tube. And I was just hooked. I, I, at home in Michigan, I would skateboard. And so I just fell in love with the, the surf skate culture and the music, all the punk rock and stuff like that. That's what I could do. That's how I could exercise my surfing skills was listening to Pennywise and Bad Religion and NoFX in um, in Michigan in the wintertime. Um, and that was me being a surfer. <laughs> That's so amazing. It's so weird. The parallels, because I also grew up skimboarding. And yes. Yeah. And it's great. It's crazy. And so uh, that's just how I met my husband on the beach. He was skimboarding. I pretended like, oh, how do you do that thing? Which is another story for another day. Super fun. <laughs> um, and then I was like, pew, bye. Um, and yeah. And then it was uh, Cocoa Beach was a huge part of my surf story, too. And awesome. uh, yeah, so that's so cool. I really understand what you mean about the addiction of just you're being in the water, but you're on the water. You're you're not fighting it. It's just, it's the stoke. It's, it's, it's the stoke. It's yeah. the stoke. And you can't just do it anywhere. You know, you can't go to the great lakes and surf like you can even on the East coast in Florida, you know, it's, it's, it's a really fickle window of conditions that has to be right in order for you to do it. And when it's right, it's incredibly beautiful. And I, I guess I've always been into kind of the hunt and the search for that type of thing too. Like I would pull over on even on the great lakes, I'd pull over and be like, I wonder if there could possibly be surf at this little beach here. <laughs> there wasn't, there was like 40 dead fish and like at Lake Erie somewhere. Yeah. Um, but <clears throat> you know, I always had hope. I always had tons of, I was a hopeful surfer from the get go. And then you moved to California. Is that when you really became like a surfer surfer? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I moved here to pursue music and kind of fell into acting, but I really just wanted to be by the ocean and be able to, to surf, you know, just down the road. Um, I figured if I was going to be struggling or <laughs> poor or hard up, I might as well be, <laughs> you know, near the ocean and able to get in the water and, and surf and have that, that release. And, you know, like, Nebraska winters suck in the Midwest. Yeah. It's they're really hard. Yeah. So. I've, I've put in my time. I'm done with that. I, yep. For me, another part of my surf story had a lot to do with community. Not everyone likes to surf with other people. I think it's really just surfing with <clears throat> the right people. What's been yep. the, the surf community's reception to you in, uh, in Malibu? Um, it's been pretty amazing. I, 
for a while, I, I was saying that surfing has changed my life. And now I say that surfing continues to change my life. Um, and the, the friends and the people that I've met and the experiences that I've had and the waves that I've had by myself or sharing with friends, whether they wanted to share with me or not, um, <laughs> you know, everything has been really incredible. It's, it's been awesome. I, I know I would get tons of looks and I would get, um, you know, behind the back comments and even, you know, as recent as maybe a year and a half ago, somebody called me mini me on the beach. And it's, that's just a part of my life being, you know, having dwarfism, but I think there's, I'll never claim to be local here. This is not my home break. This is where I go most often. But I mean, my friends have been here for 25, 35 years and I'll, I'll never claim, you know, local status, but I will say that I have gained a tiny bit of respect in the water. And, you know, I, I will yield waves and I will also hop on with friends that say, you know, if you don't hop on with me, we're not friends anymore. <laughs> and so I'll be like, okay, I'll, I take, I'll take this cue and I'll take this ride with you. And then also I feel like I've, been out in the water enough to be able to say to be able to call out somebody who's new who might be doing something unsafe and say hey like i've i've been here i i know how this goes and it's best if you maybe do this instead of what you were doing um which you know i never thought i'd be able to do any of those things here and and it's how but it, it just comes from consistency you know like being an actor, <clears throat> there are a lot of days where you are not working. So you go <laughs> surfing. And that's what I chose to do is to go surfing. And, you know, there, there was a time where I was showing up three to five times a week getting in the water and Malibu recognizes that consistency and it recognizes your dedication, determination to getting out there and, and being better and, and just experiencing Malibu. That's been my experience here too in the Gulf Coast. We are uh, the epitome of finicky uh, conditions and less than ideal mm -hmm. conditions, but it does influence the way that our you know community interacts and kind of what we think of people who just try and they try to be the most respectful that they can in the water um, mm -hmm. as they can. But then it, it on those days, those magical days, it's like you know the wave. It uh, feels like the wave of the century. And, yes. <laughs> and we, we, we all have those memorable moments for the wave that like checks all the boxes or, you know, the memory, yep. maybe it's not a wave entirely, but what's been your like memorable wave that you've had? Oh man. Um, I, I, I met one of the sweetest guys in the water who I, dubbed my surfing dad because he was about 20 25 years older than i am and we have the ha same hairstyle of a bald skull and somewhat of a little beard um but he uh his name's vince and he definitely pushed me to to go out in conditions where i probably would have not you know i would have stayed on the beach and just um just maybe stayed away. But I remember a day out in Ventura where the swell was very infrequent. Like it was probably 20 minutes in between sets or even more. 
and um, I I caught like the biggest wave of my life. I think he claims that it was ten foot or more. What and and Ventura is a very slopey wave. So 10 foot in Ventura is not a pitchy situation. At least this swell was not, but it was super clean. It was really cold. Okay. You're going to have to explain pitchy, slopey, and clean for my non-surfing audience. (laughs) Sure. So pitchy and slopey are descriptions of the steepness of the wave. So from the, the trough to the crest, if the angle is, um, let's say less than 45 degrees and you're able to catch the wave. Um, and it's not, it's not throwing the white water like a curl would that's, that's pitchier. It's kind of like a, um, more of a gradual hill, whereas a a steeper wave, a pitchy wave, I would say is, um, you know, past 45 degrees on the angle and the, the white water can be kind of throwing It, it. It happens when, um, uh, the, the bottom is, is more at a a steep angle. And so that creates the steeper part of the wave. Does that make sense? Does that, I mean, in my mind it does. I I, yeah, I think people could understand that. So, uh, you know, steep wave looks like it's going to eat you. Slopey wave just looks like a big wall (laughs) slowly coming at you. And then clean means that the wind conditions don't allow for a lot of chop. So it's nice and smooth and organized. Yeah. So it was a 10 foot wind. either offshore offshore wind that I don't know that it was, I have a video of it and I don't know that it actually was. And I actually got sunscreen on my GoPro that day. So everything looks like it's <sighs> behind Vaseline, <laughs> but it's the fastest I've ever gone. And it was a 30 second ride, um, which was insane. Um, and he was just like hooting and hollering like crazy for me. So that wave was was super memorable. And that session was super memorable as well because I caught three waves that day in the span of probably two hours. Like, again, like the, there were long lulls and um, it was intimidating being out there. And I got cold and so I decided to, to paddle in. And as soon as I started to take a couple of paddles, a set of like six or seven waves came and hit me all in the head, of course, and about the fourth wave, um, I, I wasn't I wasn't strong enough to hold on to my board at this point, and so my board, I, I my leash broke the the this the cord that attaches my ankle to the the surfboard broke, and I could feel you know feel it release, and so I was out in the water with another three waves, you know, that were probably six to eight foot hitting me on the head, and it was super intimidating. And like I said, I had my GoPro on the board. Um, so I had a moment of, do I decide to panic or do I keep it under wraps? Long story short, I kept it under wraps. It took me eight minutes to paddle in without a surfboard. Oh my gosh! I know this because be- I watched the GoPro video back <laughs> of my board like from the time that the board was gone until the time I went and picked the, the board back up, it was probably eight minutes. And then um, in Ventura there, it's, it's all rock. It's all like huge rocks against the, the um, break wall against the, the boardwalk. And so my board just got tossed up 
onto the rocks and the waves were just smashing it against the rocks and the GoPro was catching all of it. It was pretty hilarious. Oh my God. But that was, that was like, it was one of those days where it it's quintessential surfing. You have this incredible moment on the fastest thing you've ever been standing on. And then you're freaked out like crazy because <laughs> you don't know how you're going to possibly get into the water and clamor up the rocks and then get your surfboard. So yeah, it was, uh, it was an amazing day. Definitely a, a day with some lessons learned. No kidding. That's intense. So yeah. do you feel like being a little person gives you any advantages to surfing? Like, are you able to <sighs> catch inside breaks that are too shallow for surfers of an average height or, is there any advantages that people wouldn't think of? I don't know that there are advantages. I think that the mo- the biggest advantage is an advantage that every little person has. And that is to think outside the box and think creatively um, and really do what is best for your situation. So I'm four foot four inches tall. My arm span is probably a little bit longer than my height, which I'm very fortunate for, um, because that helps me to paddle quite a bit, uh, or gives me a little bit of an advantage of my, um, you know, with my arms being a little bit longer. Um, but I think there are so many disadvantages, honestly, like it's, I have a spinal fusion from T1 to L4, which is essentially my entire back. So when you're paddling on a surfboard, most surfers will arch their back and pick up their chest a little bit and look with their neck. I only have seven vertebrae in my neck to, to, you know, toss my head back and look at oncoming waves or get out of the waves of surfers. So that's an uncomfortable situation. Um, I mostly ride boards that are in the eight to nine foot range just because the the planing surface of a longer board is so much easier to have a glide to attain the glide. And so paddling is more efficient for me on, on a board like that. Popping up with a spinal fusion, I think is pretty difficult. I've perfected it for myself, but it's taken a really long time to get the muscle memory and, and figure that out. Um, and also I think having a, a shorter gait you know, I have to move a lot more on a surfboard to find the, the speed. Um, the, it, every surfboard has a has a fast spot. And to get to that, that like speed boost on the on the surfboard, like that spot that's going to give you the speed boost is it's a little bit more energy for me. You know, if, if I were to stand up, if, if I were to ride a shorter board, like a six foot board, my stance would be so wide compared to somebody else who is, you know, even a foot taller than I am. And so I think it's pretty much only challenges with surfing and being a little person. But I think, you know, I I really think that my approach to anything is a creative, it comes from a, a really creative problem solving place. And that does help me to find little inside waves or little nuggets of waves where I can say, Oh, this is maybe not as desirable for everybody else, but I'm going to go for a ride. And I've learned to catch those waves. Have you met any other surfers who are also little people? 
I have. I competed in a in an adaptive surfing competition, and uh, now I, I feel like I can call him a friend. My buddy Ryan and I competed in in a competition, and he's. It's man, it was so cool to just talk to another little person who gets out in the water and has such similar struggles and similar successes. And it's funny too, because I showed up to the first competition with an eight foot eight surfboard and he showed up with a five foot surfboard and, um, you know, I don't, I don't think either of us judged each. I mean, I knew a five foot surfboard is going to be a lot much harder to surf than an eight foot eight, at least just paddle wise. Um, but the next year we got together, he wrote his, his five foot surfboard and I wrote a seven, four. And after that, he's like, Hey man, I just ordered a longboard because you've definitely shown me the way that, you know, it makes sense just to be able to catch waves with more ease. And I was like, Oh, sweet. Nice. Glad you ordered a longboard. What did you order? He's like, I ordered a seven, two. And I'm like, that's not a longboard. What are you talking about? Like, come ride my nine footers, man. Those are longboards. Seven two's a small mid length. Um, so yeah, those are the lengths of boards. And again, like I just ride, I, I enjoy riding longer boards. And plus at Malibu, if you don't ride a longer board, somebody else on an 11 foot board is already on the wave and, you know, trimming along and going super fast. So, yeah, that's so true. It's interesting that, um, the difference between the board length between you and your friend, and then there's a professional, well, I don't know if he's a professional surfer. He has won competitions in Brazil. Have you ever heard of Roberto uh, Pino? Yeah, I have. That guy is gnarly as all get out. (laughs) Yeah. He's about your height, about your age. Um, and I've watched the videos and he shreds on a short board. And so it's just, it's, and so does his son. Oh, really? No, I didn't know that. He has a, he has a son that's like a super shredder as well. Like I think Roberto's older than I am. And both Ryan and I look at his stuff and we're like, we can't invite him to California to compete. Like we're, there's no, there's no way, man. Oh, that's so funny. He's so good. He is so good. It's insane. Yeah. Hey, Curiositors, just a quick pause to show gratitude to our sponsors and give you some special deals. If trash TV leaves you feeling drained and you want to support creators like yours truly, check out StreamMoco. You can search shows by your mood and even, you know, watch my show, The Curious Introvert. For every $3.99 subscription, they give away a dollar for good and support their creators like your girl. Find my affiliate link in the episode description or the bio link in my Instagram account. Stream Moco, the streaming network that gives a damn. If you've got backyard barbecue plans for 2022, but mosquitoes are not invited, I recommend Insec. I've been using their pest control service for several years now. They have a certified mosquito identification specialist on staff. And pollinator care is always top of mind. If you live in the Florida Panhandle or the Gulf Coast of Alabama, give them a call, ensec.net. The UWF Historic Trust. We shoot the show at the Pensacola Museum of History. It not only houses exhibits of lesser-known Pensacola history, it's an event space too. So if you need a unique space in downtown Pensacola for a fundraiser, networking event, or a corporate party, take a look at historicpensacola.org. 
And if you want to tour one of the 12 museums, get your tickets in person so you can show the agent one of my emails and get $2 off an adult ticket. Get emails by texting REAL to 66866. Now back to the show. Well, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about um, your podcast and kind of your experience in the entertainment industry. I feel like as far as the world of people with different abilities, I don't know, maybe there's like a split down the middle, half, half we'll say, of people are like, listen, I'm not going to be a motivation to you just because I have a different uh, you know, scope of abilities. I just want to live my life. And then the other half tend to take a more vocal approach to activism and um, kind of the insightfulness and introspection that comes along with um, having a disability. Have you always been on the side of more vocal advocacy? Not at all. No, I, this has taken me a long time to get to this position of wanting to either stand up for myself or other folks that I, that I see out in the wild or in the industry working on things like I didn't want to even associate myself with other little people until I was older than 30. Um, it's there's there's a ton of shame in this existence for me anyway and i think other little people i think it's safe to say that other little people have experienced some of that as well whether they've thought about it or meditated on it or considered that but i think there's so many there's so much time and there's so much of a need to put yourself in an ableist position where you need to just meld into the rest of society and think that you're okay and you just have to adapt your body and your surroundings to everything that is around you. When I'm kind of against all that right now, I'm kind of thinking that, you know, no, I think society needs to look at us and say, wow, skeletal dysplasia is a disability. The fact that we can't use public restrooms and we can't reach things in a grocery store and my friends can't reach their mailboxes in their apartment buildings. You know, it's like, how do you, how, how is this not this, this existence as a little person or someone with dwarfism? How is it not disabled? I think it's supremely disabled from, from head to toe, you know, um, and everything inside too. I think that there's, there's so much extra mental um, exertion trying to fit yourself into acceptance or for yourself and for others and also into situations. And I think a lot of little people apologize for their existence and they apologize because they, they need help or something like that. And that just drives me up a wall, you know, cause these, these people that I want to showcase on my show, on my podcast are just supremely incredible. Um, really creative and you know in my opinion like you know there there's that that i word that inspiration word which i guess is <clears throat> can be um i don't know it's it's a it's a word that i kind of just accept a lot of times because honestly if if you're just going to say like i'm inspired by you then okay cool i think i do some things that are inspiring and i've been some of the, a lot of the things that I do, I've been inspired because other people have done those things and they've inspired me to do what I want to do. I mean, 
if you're inspired by me for the wrong reasons, I think that's maybe a very personal thing to call out, but maybe there are some really blatant ways that you shouldn't be. Like I, uh, there was a piece that I made where um, a woman was talking about how she's been approached multiple times by people who say that they're inspired by her or it's so great that she leaves the house. Yes. Yes. My, my friend with dwarfism has had that happen to her in the grocery store. She lives in small town, Nebraska, and people will come up to her and be like, you know, just gray hairs. Like, oh, honey, I'm just so inspired that you're out and about. And I just think it's great. I don't know why I'm giving them a Southern accent. Definitely. We don't have Southern accents in Nebraska, but it just fit. For the <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I it's, think that can be demeaning. It's like, it's just feels different. It definitely does. I mean, you know, you're putting one foot in front of the other, like that inspires me to do the same. It's like, I mean, I don't know, maybe people need that inspiration. Yeah, it's, uh, I think I, people I've, just get awkward. They don't know what to say and it can be very weird. Sure. And you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's an odd place to be in. I can only imagine you've said in an interview that the industry, meaning like the film industry didn't, or, that they didn't uh, see little people as people. And it took you a while to realize that. What do you mean by that? I mean that I entered into the, um, the entertainment industry because I, I loved performing. Um, I had toured for six years as a rock and roll drummer before starting a career in acting in Hollywood. And that's really I'm not a trained actor, but that's where I drew my inspiration for performing was being on stage and, you know, the show must go on and, you know, you're in front of folks and entertain people. All that stuff is a circus. I don't care what you say. The entire thing is a gosh darn circus. And, um, and so I realized that I could make so much more money showing up as an actor on on sets and that's a desirable thing in los angeles to make money and after a while after years of trying for jobs and and hoping that somebody would just say oh you know let's let's hire him just because he's a guy that never really happened you know and it was always myself or other actors uh, with dwarfism getting put into tons of foam and being these caricatures and just not being who they are or any semblance of a real person. And so, yeah, I, I think that Hollywood doesn't see us as real people. I think we are animators of specialty foam creatures and people who wear demon prosthetics in a really scary way because we're, we're short in our, you know, faces will accommodate uh, spirit gum and it's it's just frustrating and i think that like i i'm not i have a lot of friends who have made their careers you know that they they've worked in the industry for over 30 years and and they've done all those roles and i think that working alongside any any crew member that works alongside a little person will say I think that, that, that person's a great guy. Like they, they're a great woman, you know, like they, they realize that we are just people and we're, we're here to do this again, circus job. 
Um, and, but in, in the back of their minds, I think they, they absolutely can see that we are typecast. We are, um, put into these stereotypical roles where we aren't seen as people. And, and, um, yeah, so it took me a long time to, to figure that out because, you know, you don't want to talk badly about Hollywood, I guess. Like you want, again, you want to have hope, you want to have, uh, belief and, and, but when it comes down to it, you know, I've really only worked on one or two productions where my face has been seen and I've worked on 10 episodes of Jimmy Kimmel live and I've worked on, you know, other Fox and ABC productions and, and a handful of movies as well. And I've uh, worked on some commercials and it just, it just doesn't happen for us. And so that's really what I want to, if I can have any sort of like hand or uh, in, in changing Ernie's sort of be any sort of catalyst for that, that's, that's really what I want to try to do. In one of the videos that's attached to, you have on your link tree uh, link from your Instagram account, there's a video um, that talks about the difference between representation and authentic representation. Can you explain the difference and why that matters to you? Man, what what video is that? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the one where there's like a bunch of different people. Um, I forget what it's called, but ability and progress. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the representation, um, in that one, it's, it's, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about like the, uh, you know, I guess for us with, um, reality TV shows, you know, that is representation. If you see us on little women, LA or little people, big world, or, you know, any show, any reality show that that shows us as little people it's it's representation you know it's um you get to see a little person talking and you get to see their body on video but to me that's reality tv is just as scripted or more scripted than theatrical stuff um you know sorry to ruin the the surprise (laughs) on that one but honestly it is like people are crazy, but they're not, you know, that's all for, that's all for you, the audience, you know, that's not for a story. And I think actual representation is when you see a little person or someone with a disability who is just, they're not playing a a stereotypical role. You know, it's not the, the war veteran that's in a wheelchair or, you know, the the blind person who you know never leaves the house because they're so fearful but like they need to be coddled i don't know like whatever whatever depiction that is just not real and i think man one of my in one of my interviews my subject i I think it was alexa um she used the term cripping up and that was that's a term for I'd never heard it before, but it's a term for when a non-disabled actor has to try to portray a disabled actor in, in a show. And you really don't get that experience. You know, that doesn't, that isn't true. It's not, and there's an incredible, oh my gosh, 
there's an amazing movie that everyone should go and watch called um, Tiptoes. Have you heard of it? Do you no, know of this movie? Never. So it, it's Gary Oldman, um, Matthew McConaughey, Peter Dinklage is in the movie, Patricia Arquette, I believe. And it's maybe it was the late 90s or something, but it's about um, a bunch of little people. And uh, uh, Matthew McConaughey's brother happens to have dwarfism. And Matthew McConaughey's brother, who happens to have dwarfism, is played by none other than Gary Oldman, who is like five foot ten. And they seriously are portrayed. They're like, talk about the epitome of cripping up. You have a movie with all little people. There's like 50 other little people in this movie. Like, what a slap in the face. Sorry, Gary. We need you on your knees right now so we can shoot this scene in front of all these other little people that can't play a role like you can. Like, thank God you're playing a little person in a movie. And the most amazing thing to me is if you watch the trailer, at the end of the trailer, it's <laughs> the voiceover says, and Gary Oldman in the role of a lifetime. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> like, you're only going to get talked down for this by me anyway. And I think other people that actually care about this, you know, I think that like what a complete slap in the face and he's playing opposite Peter Dinklage and Peter Dinklage is obviously, you know, he always shows up brilliant. He's an amazing actor, but man, the epitome of cripping up right there, you know, like it's incredible too. There's a scene where he's sitting on the couch and you can tell the legs are fake and he's like sitting below the cushions, but his torso is met with these fake legs on the couch. It's, Oh my God. You should watch it. Everyone should watch it tonight. I'm I'm definitely going to watch that. That's insane. And I think that's what people don't understand. So when I hear, you know, about authentic representation, I I think about what you and I have talked about off mic about, yeah, I just, you know, let's hire someone just to be a guy or a girl in line at Starbucks. And because that's more accurate of how our world looks and Mm -hmm. inauthentic representation is like these caricatures that, you know, are limiting. And so, and so it's, 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 it's interesting to see the difference between the real life world and how diverse it is in abilities and all different kinds of, of ways. And then what is portrayed on screen, like in the real world, you're out there surfing Malibu and yeah. in the, in the, uh, in the on-screen <clears throat> world, you're playing a peanut on Jimmy Kimmel and the cow is getting paid more than you. Like, yeah. like that yeah. is such a, a split, but this has been such a good talk. I, what's next for you? You have all these passions, all these things that you do. Is it more podcasting, more speaking gigs? What's, what can we look forward to seeing you in? I like to say yes to just about everything. So um, I, the, the podcast, unfortunately, has been on a, a bit of a hiatus. And I really do love my show. So I, I've got interviews in the, in the queue that need to be edited. And so I'm hoping more podcasting. I'm, uh, I do have speaking engagements coming up, which is really cool. And looking forward to God, I really, I've really had a lot of fun speaking and I, I really want to do as much of that as I possibly can. Um, I'm also acting in a movie that's coming up um, that's shooting for a handful of weeks in the fall in California. 
So I'm excited about that. And I can't say anything else because I will get sued. Um, <laughs> Man. Uh, okay. um, and then, uh, yeah, there are a couple other things that are, that are in the pipeline. So, um, well, I look forward it's to all, that. It's all weird. Yeah. I, I love the weird and the wonderful. It's what makes the world interesting. Where can people yeah. follow you and keep in touch with you? Um, you can follow me on Instagram at big deal pod. Love it. Find and me there. The same name as your podcast. Yep. I'm kind of a big deal is the podcast and there's the link tree on the Instagram too, right? Yes. 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 So, awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. This was a fantastic talk. Meredith, honestly, you are an incredible host. You're such, you're a great friend at this point. Like I just, <laughs> I love talking with you and um, it's just been smiles the entire time. Thank you for asking uh, really insightful and not the same questions that I get whenever I go on uh, other podcasts. So thank you for being awesome. Thanks for listening. If you've loved a couple episodes of this show, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the Good Pods app. And if you liked this episode, you'll also like the one I did with a blind rock climber who uses Legos to plan climbing routes, episode 145. Stay tuned next week when I talk with the mother of the fire movement and we ask the question, do I have a healthy relationship with money?